let's go ahead and get into the Word together. I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 12 verses of chapter 2 today. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, he says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? And you know what currently restrains him, so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. But the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless, the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders, <clears throat> and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are living in times of deception. We are living in, in times where many are claiming to know the, the hour and the day of your return, many are claiming to know the fulfillment of mysterious prophecies of Scripture. We are living in a time where the world seems to be going completely haywire. These are times of deception. These are troubling times. And yet your word today tells us not to be troubled and not to be deceived. Jesus, would you calm our hearts in this anxious world? Work in us through your word, by your spirit today, to prepare us for service to you. Prepare us to welcome you at your return. And to prepare us to live faithful lives as long as we may live on this earth. Give us clarity as we look at your scriptures today in Jesus' name. Amen. Titled this sermon today, Rules for the End of the World. Now, it's nothing new in Christian pulpits to talk about the end of the world and to say things like we're living in end times and, and Jesus is going to come soon. In fact, people have been saying that for almost 2,000 years. 
Since Christ's ascension, people have been talking about and anticipating his return. Today, perhaps more than ever, we have reason to believe we are living in the end times. However, we don't know. We don't know when the end will come. This is clear in Scripture. And so I want to give us three rules, three exhortations from Scripture, three things that we can do and that we can apply to our lives today that don't hinge upon figuring out when, you know, the, the signs of the times in terms of, you know, solar eclipses and wars among men and famines and pestilence and all of these things that, that we constantly, I say we, that, that Christians are so tempted to point to and say, see, this means it's the end. Regardless of our ability to discern those things, there's at least three things from this passage we can do. The first one is this, if you have your hand out in front of you. Let's take some notes together. The first one is this. Don't be easily troubled or deceived. Don't be easily troubled or deceived. The reason Paul is writing this letter to the Thessalonians, well, one of the reasons, there's, there's several things he's going to address, but one of the things that he's going to address is the idea that many of them have fallen into a, some sort of deceptive teaching that the, the return of Christ has already happened. In fact, as we're going to see, there appears to have been a letter that someone claimed came from the apostles saying these things. Paul says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled. Easily or upset or troubled by what? He says either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Here's the disturbing thing is that people have been troubling and deceiving others with predictions about the end of the world for two millennia now. People, well, I, I, I should clarify that. People have been doing that as long as I think as humans have existed on the earth, but specifically amongst Christians, people have been claiming to know the time of the return of Christ and causing people to be disturbed, causing them to be deceived. Some of this comes from wicked men, false teachers, those who desire to lead people away from Christ. But some of it comes from well-meaning believers. Some of it comes from just Christians who honestly, sincerely just want to discern the Bible, who just want to understand what, what is happening in our world. And so it's not always from wicked motives. Some of it is, comes from a very good place. But both can be destructive if we're not extremely cautious and discerning when it comes to these things. I think the last two and a half years with COVID and with all of the things that have come with this, not just COVID, but there's been so many things in the last couple of years that have just upset the order of our world, that have upset the way things normally happen. I'm not just talking about our personal lives. I'm talking about on a, on a global level. You know, just major, major things. And there's talk of, 
uh, you know, this big reset and people talk about new world orders and things like that that world leaders are, are, are literally trying to implement. And some of that, again, perhaps out of good intentions and, and well-meaning and some of it perhaps not quite as well-intentioned. These are, these are wild times to be alive. So it's an interesting, but also it can be scary. Paul says, don't be easily troubled. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. This is the way the world is. And I mean, historically speaking, we still have it better probably than any other, any, well, I shouldn't say any other generation, perhaps in the last hundred years, there have been generations that have had it better than we have it today. But, but where we're at as 21st century Americans, we've, we've, we've got life better than 99% of the people who have ever existed have it. We really do. Nonetheless, it's a troubling time to be alive. Jesus spoke somewhat extensively on the timing and the events surrounding his return. In Matthew 24, these won't be on the, on the slides behind me. I apologize. I added this later. Um, but you can just write down Matthew 24. Honestly, the, the whole chapter is relevant to what we're talking about. I want to read just a sampling of verses from Matthew 24. Let's look at what Jesus says about his, his coming return. In verse 3 of Matthew 24, it says, While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. The first part of Jesus' response is echoed later by the Apostle Paul. When it comes to understanding the end of time, when it comes to understanding Jesus' return, the first thing we need to be careful is that we are not deceived. He says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah. And they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. People sometimes point to wars and rumors of wars and say, see, we're in the end of time. And, and, and Jesus says, no, that's actually a sign that the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and, the, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. The troubling signs that we see around us are just the beginning of labor pains. They are not the end. Later in the chapter, Jesus will clarify. He'll say, <coughs> excuse me, now concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. When you hear a Christian preacher say that he has calculated the time of the return of Christ, that is a false preacher. He is in direct contradiction to the words of Jesus himself, yet many have done it. 
Jesus says in verse 37, as the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Now, there's some things that Jesus says here, and there's some things that Jesus doesn't say. Many have pointed out, Jesus says, you will not know the day and the hour, but others, others have taken that to mean that it's possible to know the season. We won't know the specific time, but we might, we, we might know, and this comes from some of the things that, that Jesus says, he does hint at, and we'll get to this a little bit later, he does hint at, at some signs that do indicate you are living near the end. You are living near the return of Christ. These signs that, that were included here in the beginning of the chapter are just things that are going to happen. Famines and wars and rumors of wars, and, and don't be alarmed. Expect those things to happen. That doesn't mean you're in the end. That is just the beginning of labor pains. So Jesus says, we don't know the day or the hour. He does not exclude the idea that we may know the season. He says that for many, it will be like the days of Noah. Now, what was it like in the days of Noah? Nobody believed Noah. If they believed Noah, they would have been helping him build the ark, or they would have been built and making their own provisions. Nobody believed him. They just went on living their lives. But it says they were given in marriage and being married. They were, they were living as if they had a lot of time left to live on the earth. And then Noah boarded the ark and destruction came. Jesus says it'll be like that at his return. People won't be ready. People won't believe that it's going to happen. Nonetheless, Jesus tells his people, don't be deceived. Paul warns the Thessalonians, don't be easily troubled. The second thing. So the first thing, let me, well, let's just reiterate. The first thing is that we don't want to be easily troubled or deceived. Don't, don't be consumed by people who, by teachers and, 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 and Christian preachers, who have tried to figure everything out, who have like, oh, did you know there was a lunar eclipse last night? There, that must be a sign that Jesus is coming. There have been lunar eclipses and solar eclipses and meteorite showers, and the, these things have been happening all throughout human history. Blood moons and harvest moons and all of these things are the normal course of events. Don't be easily deceived. Don't be easily troubled. The second thing, though, the other side of that coin is to be prepared. Be prepared for it's going to get really bad. Now, you're like, didn't you just say don't be troubled? <laughs> I said don't be easily troubled. <laughs> you, should, you should be troubled, but not easily troubled. Be prepared, it's going to get really bad. Let me explain. We don't want to be among those who are, as Jesus described in the end of Matthew 24 there, who are living like in the days of Noah, who don't think it's really going to happen, who don't think there's any need to prepare, who don't think there's, there's any reason to think that Jesus is actually going to return or that he's going to return in our lifetime. 
we should not be so, so inoculated by all of the trouble and dis, dis, troubling and disturbing things that happen in our world that we don't keep a watchful eye and live prepared lives. We have to find that balance. We have to find the balance between those who see everything that happens today, everything they hear about in the news as a sign that the end is completely upon us, and those who think, oh, this is just the world. Nothing ever changes. This is just the way it's always been and the way it will always be. We must be prepared. There are two things to come that that Paul points to in this next passage. We're going to pick it up in the middle of verse 3. He says, "For for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Those are the two things. The man doomed to destruction. Verse 4 says, He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this? And you know what currently restrains him so so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Two things that Paul points to, he's, he's, he's encouraging them not to be deceived, not to believe that these things have already taken place. I said this earlier, there was a, there was a, a letter that was being circulated either among, among the Thessalonians, or it might have been just happening somewhere else, and Paul was concerned that it might make it to the Thessalonians, there was a letter being circulated that supposedly came from Paul telling the church that the return of Jesus had already happened. Today, there are Christians who believe, and there are Christian cults who who may not be true Christians. Don't want to open that can of worms. But there are Christians who have believed, and there are people who believe that Jesus has already come that he has come secretly. That was the same thing in Paul's day. There were people spreading rumors that Jesus had already returned. But the two things that he says, he says, don't worry, it hasn't happened. There are two things that need to happen. The first is what he calls, what's translated here as apostasy. Apostasy can mean, uh, it, it could be understood in a couple of different ways. This could be some sort of great falling away from faith of those who had previously professed faith. This could be, um, some, some translations actually translate this rebellion. There could be a, um, maybe not necessarily a falling away among Christians, but a rebellion among the earth, specifically a rebellion against God. In some way, shape, or form, there's going to be a turning away from God or a, a throwing off of God that happens. And then, the man of lawlessness has to be revealed. The man of lawlessness. What a wild title, right? This is the one who, in other places in Scripture, is known as the Antichrist. The Antichrist is probably the most interesting figure in end times theology. When it comes to what the Bible says about the end times and about Jesus' return, I don't know that anybody gets more attention than the Antichrist. The Antichrist, we we learn a few things about the Antichrist here. We'll learn even more in Revelation 13, which we're not going to go to today. 
but you, you can read about the Antichrist in Revelation 13. The Antichrist is, is somebody generally assumed to be a human leader who is going to set himself up directly against God. This is what we see about, about him in this passage. In verse 3, he's called the man doomed to destruction. That's not good. He's, this is not a good, you don't want to be associated with him. Verse 4, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. That's why he's often referred to as the Antichrist. He's going to set himself up against Christ. He is going to take on Jesus for the role of ruler of the universe. It says in verse 4, so, he, so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Now, when we start talking about the Antichrist and the timing of God's return and the events that must take place uh, before Jesus' return, you have to understand Christians are, are pretty deeply divided on how to interpret and understand these types of passages. There are a number of views. There's four main views of how to understand the end times and how to order the events of the end times. All four of those views are held by Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians who sincerely want to understand the Word of God. So anytime you enter into a discussion or a debate where there are at least four significantly different views held by Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians, you must enter in with humility, and you must enter in expecting that that this cannot be easily resolved. And we, we, have to, we have to humble ourselves enough to say there are some things that we just can't say for certainty that we understand in Scripture. Now, some people aren't willing to do that. Some people plant their flag in one of those four views, and they say, this is clearly what the Bible teaches, and Anybody who teaches something different is foolish and, and you know, they, they become sort of prideful and arrogant, but we must remain humble and say, you know what, these, these views, these, these four different ways of seeing um, these, these end times things, they all have merit. They all, somebody asked me re- recently, well, which camp do you fall into? Which one of these views do you hold to? And I was like, it depends which passage of Scripture I'm reading. <laughs> There's... There's things that we just can't line up as cleanly and as nicely and neatly as we want to be. And so we have to, do, we have to come into this debate with humility. That being said, we should do our best to study the Scriptures and to understand the things that are clear. And one thing that is clear is that we are called to be prepared. I said all that because I was about to say in verse 4, It says that the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, will sit in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Now there's a view of, one of those four views of the end times uh, takes anything, any references, uh, prophetic references like this that refer to the temple and, and seeks to understand those symbolically. The reason for that is very clear. In 70 A.D., just about 40 years after Jesus' earthly ministry, the temple of the Jews was completely destroyed. 
and it was not it, it was it was it was since then has not been there has not been a temple now along with the destruction of that temple around the same time the jewish people were basically eliminated as a as their their status of statehood was basically eliminated in Jesus's lifetime the jewish people were sort of a state they were under the rule of the roman empire but they were a people that had laws and governance and structure amongst them that was ended during the 1st century uh, under the Roman Empire. And for almost 2,000 years, well, for about almost 1,900 years, we should say, there was no Jewish state. There was no place called Israel. There was a place that used to be called Israel, but there was no Jewish, there were Jewish people dispersed and scattered throughout the earth. And then something significant happened at the end of World War II. The Jewish state was reestablished. And so if if you lived in the 1900 years where there was no Jewish temple and there was no Jewish people, there was ethnically Jewish people but no statehood, then you would look at scriptures like this and say, well, what are you talking about this man sitting in God's temple? God's temple hasn't existed for almost 2,000 years. Well, now here we are. We're in a new time. We're, we're, we're in a new phase of human history where Israel has statehood again. And guess what Israel keeps talking about doing, rebuilding the temple. So it's possible that even though we can see why people for the last for hundreds of years have interpreted these scriptures differently, it's possible that this is a literal thing that will happen, that the Antichrist will literally walk into a Jewish temple that has been rebuilt, and he will proclaim himself as God in that temple. One way or another, this we know is clear about the Antichrist. He will set himself up against all other gods. If you look at some of the other passages, again, we're opening a can of worms. I already opened a can of worms. I'm going to try to get my worms back onto the table here. (laughs) If you look at some of the other scriptures that refer to the Antichrist, uh, it appears as though he's going to be some sort of political leader that will do great things in the world that will cause the people of the world to unite around him and specifically unite themselves against God and against Israel. For that reason, many have speculated over who the Antichrist is. This is nothing new. This is not something that has begun in our lifetime. In the 1500s, Martin Luther thought the Pope of his day was the Antichrist. In the 1940s, many thought that Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. And you can see why. I mean, there's there's people that have done wild things that would cause many to be deceived. Is the Antichrist alive today? We don't know. We just don't know. One thing we do know is we'll know him when he ascends to power because he will set himself clearly against the God of the universe. Then Paul says in verse 5, don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this, to which we say, no, we don't remember. We weren't there. (laughs) We wish we had been. We wish we had more information. And then he says, and you know what currently restrains him so that he will be revealed in his time. And again, no, we don't know. We don't know what he told them. God has chosen not to preserve that in, in Scripture. 
But he says in verse 7, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who is now restraining will do so until he's out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. What you need to know, what is clear, is that before the return of Christ, there will be apostasy, and there will be a man of lawlessness who will be revealed. Again, there are different ways of understanding this. There are ways of understanding this that, that basically present that these things have already happened. Therefore, the return of Christ is imminent. It could happen at any moment. Those are things that we just have to approach with a lot of humility. When I say it's going to get really bad, Jesus speaks of this in Matthew 24 as well. He says in verse 9 of Matthew 24, Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because the lawlessness will multiply. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Again, here's another place where people say, oh, you see, today, people, the love of many is growing cold. People have stopped going to church. People don't love Jesus the way previous generations have loved Jesus. The problem is you are talking about a specific place in the world. You're talking about the Christians around you. Yeah, that may be true. Our, our nation may be less Christian than they once were. But other nations amongst the world are becoming more Christian. And other nations that once were Christian, their love grew cold centuries ago. And so we can't point to the fact that, that people don't seem to love Jesus as much around us anymore as evidence that the end has come and that we're living in this time. It's a pretty general and broad thing that Jesus says. But this is the one thing he does say. He says in verse 15, So when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one thing that Jesus seems to point to as a clear sign that this is truly the end is the abomination of desolation. Most people will associate the abomination of desolation with the Antichrist sitting himself up in God's temple in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Not everybody, but most people will associate those two things. So it's possible that Jesus is saying, if you want a sign, if you want a sign that the end is near, when you see the Antichrist go into the temple of God and, 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 and desecrate that temple by demanding that people worship something other than God, then there's your sign. Maybe. <laughs> Here's where we got to maintain humility. Last thing on this point, for at that time, verse 21 of Matthew 24, for at that time there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved, but those days will be cut short because of the elect. If anyone tells you, see, here is the Messiah, or over here, do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, Jesus says, I have told you in advance. 
So if they tell you, see, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or see, he's in the storm, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. One thing you don't have to worry about is the idea that Jesus will return and you won't know it. When he returns, you will know. When he returns, you will know that he is here. So, Jesus says, blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. So what do we need to know about all of this? You see how complicated this gets? It's important to study this, but at the end of the day, what you really need to know is to be prepared to be doing what Jesus has called us to do, to be doing the work that he has left us to do, to be building his church, the stuff that we talk about week in and week out. None of this changes any of that. This is still what we're supposed to do. If we are living in the last days, then work like crazy to serve Jesus. If the last days aren't going to be for another 2,000 years, then work like crazy to serve Jesus. Be prepared. Be ready. Because it's not only the return of Jesus that we have to think about. It's the fact that our lives here on earth could come to an end at any moment. And we want our dying breaths to be given in service to Jesus. Thirdly, we've talked talked about not being easily troubled or deceived. We've talked about the importance of being prepared and being aware that things are going to get really bad. Perhaps you'll be here to see it. Perhaps you won't. Either way, be prepared. Thirdly, know that Jesus wins. Know that Jesus wins. You don't have to figure out who the Antichrist is. You don't have to figure out when the signs of revelation are being fulfilled. You don't have to figure out the day or the hour. What you need to know is that Jesus wins. And when he comes, he is coming for his church. and He will gather his people who have loved him and who have served him. And he will gather us into an eternal glory that is unthinkable to our human minds now. And he will bring an end to all lawlessness and punish all who oppose him. He will completely extinguish every hint of rebellion against his eternal kingdom. It says in verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians 2. We're speaking about the Antichrist. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the lie, and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not accept the love of accept the love of the truth and so be saved for this reason god sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned 
those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. What's amazing about this passage is that this man of lawlessness, whoever he may be, is going to essentially rule over all the people of the earth. He's going to have political power unlike anything that we have ever seen. He's going to actually... uh, He's going to actually cause people to bow down and worship him. And, and this passage says that he'll do so with miracles and signs and wonders. The, the human, entire human race, except for believers in Christ, will be deceived into thinking that this man ought to be worshipped above any other idea of God. That's incredible power. That is a power that you and I can't even begin to stand up to. And yet when Jesus comes, the breath of His mouth will be enough to completely destroy Him. Isn't that fantastic? The breath of His mouth. Jesus is so much more glorious and so much more powerful, and so much more God than anything that this world could ever contrive of or produce. So much so that when He returns, it it will only take the breath of His mouth to bring to nothing this man of lawlessness. That's your king. That's your savior. You have absolutely nothing to fear. He will remain the sovereign ruler of this universe forever. That's so good. It's so encouraging to know. We get so freaked out about the things happening in this world. We get so freaked out about having our rights taken away and being persecuted as Christians and not being allowed to say certain things or we might have things taken from us or we might even end up in jail or if you live in other parts of the world, you might actually be killed for worshiping Christ. And we get so worried about the things that are going on and what we need to know is that all of this ends at Jesus' return and at the breath of His mouth, all of all of the authority of man and all of his power and all of his, his, uh, his rebellious intentions against God and his desire to destroy his church come to nothing. Because Jesus has returned. Don't be easily troubled. Don't be deceived. Instead, be prepared. Know that Jesus absolutely wins. There's one more thing that I want to point out. It's important to note in this part of 2 Thessalonians 2 that the time for turning to Jesus is now, not then. I can remember as, as a teenager living in rebellion against God, I can remember thinking, yeah, I just want you know. I just want to do my thing. I just want to live life the way I want to live it. Later on, I'll get right with God. 
It's not that I didn't believe the gospel. It's not that I didn't believe I needed Jesus. It's just that I didn't want him right then. I was like, I'll do it later. A lot of people are living today, and it's not that they, it's not that they think there's nothing to this. It's just that they don't want to surrender to him now, and they think, I'll do it later. The problem with that is, is that later doesn't always present that opportunity. And what, what Paul says here to the Thessalonians, he says in verse 11, for this reason God sends a strong delusion so that they will believe the lies, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. In that day, in the day of the man of lawlessness, in the, man, in the day of, of, of the great apostasy, God will send a delusion upon people that makes it so that they will not turn to him for salvation at that time. You think, why does he do that? He's doing that because the time of judgment has become a dead one. The time of judgment is underway. It's too late. It's too late to turn to Jesus then. They've had their opportunity. He says they were those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. Now is the time of judgment. Don't wait until it's too late. Turn to Jesus, live your life for him, and serve him now while you still can. This is the time to respond to the gospel. Would you pray with me?